Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. This week we're going to talk about some Brumbies, that's wild horses, who are particularly difficult to get close to and just tools of handling these exceptionally nervous horses. But first of all, I want to ask you, Mark, a question that's come through from Cassie. And it's about a horse that's a fairly new horse for one of her friends that has a very occasionally unpredictably started to buck and rear. The rider's a beginner, so of course it's worrying for her. The horse is a seven-year-old Clydesdale cross quarter horse. And I think your answer is just going to be quite helpful in terms of just understanding how we need to approach our horse training. Um, so the, the horse owners booked onto one of your clinics. She's watching all of your videos avidly. She's listened to the Q and A's that you do. Um, but she would just like some kind of idea of what she needs to go between here and now in the clinic. How does she stop it from escalating? Um, you know, what sort of things would you be doing with this horse? that you don't know much about, but then can occasionally buck and rear? Um, well, the first the first thing, uh, just, I, I just want to, because I, I did read the question before, and I, I just want to add, there's something I wanted to add in. The, uh, um, oh, no, yeah, you mentioned it too, didn't you, Jenny? It was a five-star quarter horse, and, and I don't want to be picky in breeds and say, you know, this breed's worse than another breed. I'm not that sort of person, but I do say something that we find in people uh, is they buy a thoroughbred, uh, sorry, a, a, a Clydesdale cross because they're going to be nice, quiet, kind of plod along horses. And if anyone's got anything to do with Clydesdales, they are the sensitive cold blood, as in um, they don't have as much confidence as some of the other kind of uh, more stoic style cold bloods that you, that you find in 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 those heavier horses. So when you buy a Clyde, you've got to go into it thinking I've got a very sensitive horse and I have to be very uh, conscious of getting it to feel good about itself and the situations I put it in and also the information that I present to it. And in Clydes, you're building like a lot of breeds, you're building as much confidence in them as you, you are or anything else. So just something to think about because I get a lot of, you know, Clydesdales that are very sensitive, um, very nervous, frightened horses that just need some help. Um, so in in helping your horse, I, I would say your horse was working um, in a frightened way but not barking and rearing. And the more... So you can control a horse and keep it kind of together, but it's not really together inside. And a lot of a lot of people can get away with that to a certain extent until the horse really opens up when a road train drives past or something like that, or you know, and the horse really opens up and spooks. But they won't buck and do anything. They'll ride around the arena and in their paddock, okay, and they're just frightened. But they're held between the boundaries of quite firm pressures that kind of um, keep it all together. And then when those horses get sold and they go out into the the world and they get ridden a bit less and they um they start to not cope with things very well so basically um i wouldn't do anything in the sense of riding between now and the clinic 
in case you're sort of getting a pickle out there because um, I would come to the clinic and we'll, we'll, I, I would like to identify your horse thoroughly. And uh, Sorry, I'd, I'd like to sort of um, have a look at your horse and identify thoroughly all the things that I, I, I think need help. Um, but basically it's going to be bringing that horse back to the start and working out all the things that it doesn't understand. I'd say there's a lot of things it doesn't understand, just the way it leads. A horse that rears is a horse that doesn't understand pressure, feels trapped in pressure, so I'd say it still feels trapped within the boundaries of the pressure. Um, it's maybe frightened of pressure. Its training could have been, you know, I've got to move away from pressure and um, I've just got to move away from pressure and it hadn't had time to think about all the things in its environment. So then it's not taking on its environment very well because it's still paranoid about the pressure. Um, so all those things need need to be addressed. So you've got to go back and say, what of all the little things that it doesn't understand, much like a lot of answers that I give on this podcast, is what doesn't the horse understand? What are the things that I can control that create too much anxiety in the horse? Don't even take them into um, a place where there's things that they can't control, like things that you can't control, like kangaroos and people driving cars and uh, all these other things. Work on the things that you can control and what it doesn't understand. And, and what it's frightened of and you'll probably find a lot in there and, and you've got to really itemise everything you're doing and, and look deeply into your horse and say gee my horse getting really worried when I just take on that right rein and it kind of gets a bit sort of there's a change in its breath and its eye hardens up and you know I've got to fix that because I can't be taking that right rein when the horse is scared of a truck over there and then all of a sudden there's a truck and a right rein attacking at the same time so that's why they panic and they and they rear and they run away from pressure. So I'd say there's a lot of things in pressure that you've got to control, uh, that you can control, that you've got to get forced to understand, and then and then we can take them out into the real world. The reason why the horse follows along on trail rides uh, better is because it doesn't have to process all the things as much because it's another confident horse that's processing and it just goes, I'm just going to. It's it's good. But the, the, having another horse to follow is an alternative. So it goes, oh, I've got a good alternative, I'll just follow this, and that's why it just doesn't have to think. It just follows the other horse, and that means you get that, that ride done a bit safer. But that's not a safe horse. A horse that just follows another horse is, is going to, um, you're going to get exposed too quickly, too soon. So, yeah, there'll be a lot, lot, lot of things that you've, you've got to think about in there, and, 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 um, and, and I'm excited to sort of have a look at your horse and um, try and help you identify those things. and and give you some clarity because sometimes going back and offering some clarity and then starting again a little bit is not such a big bad thing especially if you you know you enjoy horses and you enjoy helping them through there's a lot of satisfaction in putting those small pieces back together um you know because you get a soft horse and and, and they feel good I, I guess your pressure's off you know you've got the clinic coming up you've got have marks um you know support there that's going to be quite targeted so um, you could just just do nothing like he says, or maybe you could, if you wanted to fiddle around with your horse, you could start the challenge. That's probably the best. Yeah, box. yeah um, start the challenge. That'll teach you a lot of observation, um, and 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 even just go back to basic leading. You know, when I pick up the lead and go a little faster, is the horse fighting it? Is the horse fighting pressure? Just look at the little things in leading where your horse may fight pressure, brace, um, and get worried, and, and fix those things. And when I walk up to the horse, does it connect with me? Is it soft? So through the challenge, you'll sort of work on, it, it'll get you to sort of observe things a bit more and, you know, look, look is your horse connected? Is it disconnecting when you walk up to it? All that sort of stuff. And then it works through just a few things and 
yeah, just just teaches you more powers of observation, and those things will really help you work out how you uh, what you work on, I should say. Okay, we're going to move on to the wild horses, the brumbies. Um, first question for you, Mark, is from Nat, and she has this four-year-old brumby mare who's been with her for about six months now with some other horses, some goats, and some sheep. So this is the brumby that's in a paddock. Um, at the beginning, it was possible for Nat to get close. Um, she would spook at something little like the flapping of a shirt or lifting of a hand. But she got to the stage where she could be carefully halted but still look quite frozen. Nat's also done work with her front hooves too, just while she was standing there. But one day she didn't have the rope halter. She had to move her in a bit of a rush. She used a halter with metal clips. The sound of the clip made her rear up and bolt. And since then, they've been back to square one with no touch at all. So Nat's tried in the last, I think she might have had a, a Q&A that came through last month and she tried walking up with your suggestion, walking up quite normally and then turning away at signs of stress, but that hasn't actually brought um, much help at all. So her approach has always sort of resulted in the default of her walking away. So she started with some treats um, and using those, you know, hoping to change her mindset rather than, rather than approach and think away. And after 20 minutes of just standing and slowly reaching out, um, as usual, she can now stand with her nose touching her hand for quite some time. She's yawning a lot. And on two occasions, she actually walked towards her and she could scratch her neck. So lately, she seems to show herself um, a bit more. Um, she's doing some gentle little air bites, um, which I just get you to explain what those little air bites are for. Uh, she's wondering if they're asking if she's asking for a treat. Um, but she just sort of feels that she's a little bit more uh, daring if there's another pony with her, perhaps that she's got her on a lead that they're working. Her question is, though, she's obviously, you know, trying to get progress with this Brumby. Um, it's taking a long time. It's sort of painstakingly slow. Are there horses that take years to sort of get comfortable with them? Or are there horses that perhaps it's just impossible to get them to feel comfort with humans? She has tried the face-up method. It didn't lead to much. Pressure in general doesn't seem to work. Um, so she's at her wit's end in some senses. Should she give up and just let her live with her herd? Her hooves obviously need that work, though she's a bit concerned that that's got to be something that has to come into the equation. Any thoughts? Um, the first thing I want to sort of really make clear to everybody is pressure helps horses. Okay, so we have to think on the lines of pressure is there to help horses. And through pressure, horses find softness uh, and clarity. No matter how we, it's very easy in a frightened horse, it's very easy in, in using negative reinforcement in the, in, in the wrong way to create a release hunter. And so you have to be so careful that if you create a release hunter, the horse will always seek. Um, it will always only soften when the pressure is reducing, not increasing. Um, and that's that's a problem because what will happen, the horses can get comfortable with us, but they won't be comfortable with the, the trimmer who's in a hurry or you know, the vets he's got to come through and he's got, you know, plenty of jobs to do. So 
gaining a connection and softness with the horse in, in a nice, comfortable, soft place without pressure is going to be okay for some time to get the horse to trust you, but it's not going to trust pressure. You'll create a little cocoon where the horse uh, seeks release. Um, so you've got to change a thought through 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 using some reward treats for treat rewards which is good it's, you know there's you know if a horse if you if a horse can get some food off you then it obviously will start to go i can trust them a little bit you know um the catch is is if it's a if if the treats have got to trust you but then at some stage you still have to apply pressure or put it through pressure um so Yes, you need trust. The air bites, you could be right. You could be right that there's there's little kind of things where the horse is going, oh, I, I want some food. But if the air bites are happening when you're scratching or grooming, then the horse is obviously starting to feel comfortable to uh, express itself, which could be air biting as in mutual grooming. It's, it's enjoying what's happening and, and it could sometimes come back and, and, and scratch you and, and come to you with some communication. So a lot of horses, uh, Will start to relax a little bit, and they'll feel that you know that good feeling of the scratching or the grooming that you might be doing when you're near it, and it might stimulate some of that air biting, which, which comes comes from uh, like the feeling of the mutual grooming when it's going to come around and groom another horse. So that could be something in the air biting. The other thing, the air biting could be the horse is a bit confident, uh, is starting to be enough uh, a bit confident. So when you're in a space, it's getting confident enough to challenge. So remember, a little flighty horse, its first go-to is always going to be ting off and, and, and go to flight. But when it's comfortable in there and it starts to get a bit more comfortable with you, it's, it might start to go, I don't like that, or you're a bit too close and start to air bite a bit and show you that maybe it doesn't like that as well. That's another thing that can happen, which is a healthy thing because the horse has just got to a stage that it says, I'm not just going to run away because you're a monster. I trust you enough like another horse or not not yet, but it's almost like a, a, that brum so that brumby, if another horse walked up to it, it would put its ears back and do something and say, Go away. But if a human walked up it'd run off because of the threat. But the less threat in you, the more the horse can communicate with you like another horse. So air biting could be uh, a way. It just depends what it goes with. It goes with an certain expression. Okay. So the harder the expression the more it might be a defensive air bite, the, the a bit of a sort of a, a you know a softer expression could be I want to groom or it could be I'm feeling nervous. Can I have a treat? Because sometimes the treats help with that nervous thought. So yeah, anyway, something to think about. So moving along, something I would do. I was thinking about this and about. Uh, the one thing that you tried with your approach, and then when uh, with normally, and then when the horse pays it, you know, you, you sort of retreat, don't retreat, okay? So, something I would probably do with your horse is I'd put it in a, in a, in a fairly small yard, not, not one that's going to make it too, too restricted, but you know, like a, a smaller sort of round yard, and I'd just go in there and I'd just walk around, I'd just walk around normally, check, check the rails, walk towards the horse. If the horse freezes, uh, I keep walking. If it pings off a little bit, I just walk off in a new direction and I just keep walking around and I'd walk towards the horse 
um, it's going to ping off over there and I'm just going to ping off over there and then, then I'm going to walk towards it. It's going to ping off over there and I'm going to just walk off in a new direction, not, not retreat away, but I'm just going to keep myself busy walking around. And then at the moment when I see a bit of caution in the horse and I see it think a little bit, I might just stop a little bit and then I might just quietly ping off somewhere else. So it's almost like I deflect a little bit instead of back off, okay? So, and, and I just keep keep myself busy and I might go into a place for two hours. If, if, if you thought you had two hours to spend with that horse, I'd spend two hours walking normally and just doing things, doing show them what it is like to be I'm a person, but my intention is not to do anything to you. I'm just going to walk towards you and then walk over there. I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to walk towards you and I'm going to walk over there. And just keep doing that sort of thing around it for a while. And you'll find that curiosity start to get in the horse. And as you're walking off, it'll start to go, where's it going? And they start to kind of come in and they might start to follow you a little bit. I get curious eventually. But after half an hour of not being hurt or being chased or running away from you, because every time it went to run away, you just walked off in a new direction. So you took the heat off it straight away, but didn't back off it like approach and retreat. That You know how approach and retreat can be very intense, like I'm approaching you and now I'm retreating and I'm staring at you the whole time and doing some sort of thing. It's just like you're not even, you're just walking normally towards the horse and then you look somewhere else and you walk to that. You don't even look at your horse as you walk away. You just walk off somewhere else, check around, do something else. And you'll find that that bubble gets smaller until you can just about approach and touch the horse. There'll be a point that you'll, you'll be able to, the horse may freeze and, and it may freeze for that point of touch. And that doesn't matter because you can unfreeze it because as soon as you touch, you're going to touch it and it's going to be a microsecond of a touch and then you'll be walking off and checking the rail over there somewhere. And then you go in again and do it until you watch them, they'll start to soften as you touch them. And that's the point where the increasing pressure softens the horse, not the release. The release will soften the horse for a while. As you walk away, the horse will breathe and lick and chew and, you know, do all that and might get curious and might follow you. But there'll be a point was as you're approaching, the horse will go, I'll let go of that thought first. And, and they'll soften as you walk into them. And you just commit to that for a while. And then every day you'll start to learn that you don't have to creep around it. Okay, the more you so approach and retreat, as in at clinics, I'll teach approach and retreat, approach, approach and retreat, approach, approach, approach and retreat. Now, what that is, is approach and retreat is the very guru listening approach and retreat. We walk up, you see a sign of tension, you wait a little, wait till the horse softens, and then you step back and then you go in again. But that is teaching the horse that every time you get anxious, I'll stop, everything stops until you relax, and then it goes again. So you're teaching those horses if you do that all the time. Now, it's okay for the first few touches to just build a bit of trust, and that's why I encourage someone to do that. But once I've started to do that, I'd start to go to approach, approach, and retreat, or approach, and approach, and direct myself somewhere else and walk off. So basically, I'm not going to reward the horse every time it gets nervous by stopping. Um, I'm not going to be that good of a listener that the horse teaches me to be a guru so one day nobody else but me can touch the horse, okay? So if you become a guru and the horse has taught you to listen that well, then then, then it'd have trouble with other people, especially with especially these really wild little horses. So you've got to start to be um, more conscious of what you're doing. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm going over there and I'm doing that, but still be mindful of your horse's anxiety and um, but don't let that horse's anxiety control every fibre in your body and make you stop at certain times and wait at certain times and do all that because it, it will start to, it will only trust 
you because you've molded to what that horse needs. Uh, sorry, what that horse wants, I should say. But that horse doesn't, what it wants is not what it needs. What that horse needs is to trust you coming up with the tools to trim its feet. What it needs is to trust you when you come up and you want to move it into another paddock um, and not be frightened every time someone comes into a herd and things like that. Okay, so there's a couple of things in there because I think my, my impression with Nat was just from remembering her from previous questions that she was quite keen to sort of do the work out in the paddock and you sort of have straight away said a couple of things in there which I think you know might have been not what people were expecting was one pressure's okay and then two let's bring it into a yard so can we just nut the yard thing out very quickly first is it possible for her to make progress with this horse in the paddock you know that sort of question that can horses like that ever get comfortable with people or do they need to be in a confined area where there's pressure, unavoidable pressure, because there's a fence you can't get away from you? And you even use a yard specifically for horses like this that's a round yard that's completely enclosed. It's got rubber all the way around it. Like, you know, it's sort of six foot tall. They can't see out. So therefore, the only thing they can see is you. So there's no distraction. It's like, you know, this is it's really sort of um, lessons that they can focus on. Um, and you know you obviously you structure it in the right way but can she get those results out in the paddock or is it actually better in the long term to just nut this out in a small yard because that's the reality of of life isn't it you've got to be able to cope with that pressure when you do their feet and to help them feel comfortable with the pressure surely that's actually an advantage which is what your first point was yeah well the thing about it if you put her in too small of a yard it's going to be too small but there's a yard that gives the horse enough space and it could be just a big square yard. It doesn't matter if it's enclosed or not really at the end of the day. Um, really, the my, my rubber yards were more for safety um, than visual stimulant. Um, over the years, it was more the safety of the horse not getting his leg through rails and stuff like that. And If they sort of run around, they get a bit panicked or whatever, they're safe. Um, but I didn't mind them looking around and stuff like that. That, that, was, that was completely fine. Um, but what what you want to sort of think is if I put the horse in too small of a yard, it's frantic. I don't want it to be frantic. But a bigger yard, I can walk around, the horse goes over there, but it, but it realises that it can only go 50 metres away. And then I'm going to walk over there and, and, and you're going to be in that area for quite some time. As long as the horse has enough space to get some sort of, a bit of like, oh, I've moved over here, I'm safe, I can sort of, I can, process this yard and I'm not in this little bottleneck trap that I'm just frantic so you, you just put them in a space that's easy workable now you can do this in a paddock you just got to allow more time that's all you've got to do like like um, I've, I've sent people out on a mission with, with horses similar to do this and there was actually uh, a, an online lesson I did and the lady um, she said oh, we're being in a rush you know when you're bringing up kids and all that sort of stuff and I've forgot my headphones and everything. I said, well, just sit your iPad on the post and I can see the back paddock there from a distance. I'll, I'll send you off for five minutes and then come back after five minutes and, and, and we'll have a conversation and then I'll send you back again. And so from the distance, I could see what she was doing. And it was a similar lesson. She just walked towards that horse. But if you watched the horse, the horse only went to the other horses or went over there. It did just run the paddock frantic. It always did a little loop back to sort of safety somewhere. So she just walked up to it. It pinged off and she walked off somewhere else and she walked up again. And you saw that horse 
get closer and closer and closer. So even out in a sort of bigger paddock, it, it works. Uh, it's just obviously sometimes you've got to allow more time. Um, but a horse of that, if that horse is already a bit curious and it's already kind of looked at you a little bit, um, it's not a wild horse that's just going to run for miles and just go off. So, and the paddock that it's probably in, is it a 100-acre paddock or is it a one-acre paddock? A one-acre paddock, you can walk around and usually the horse will go somewhere and it'll come back there and you're just going to keep doing it. You're just going to walk towards the horse's bubble, little ping out over there, you just walk off. You walk towards the bubble, ping off, you just walk over here and you just deflect it. And, and eventually it'll get to the stage that running away, um, moving away, yeah, it took the heat off a little bit, but... Um, you didn't put a lot of pressure on it. You just walk towards it normally, and soon enough that bubble gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But it will work quicker if you can put it in a, you know, if you can have boundaries a little closer, as long as the boundaries, as I said, don't make it frantic like a little tiny stable or something. That would be too much. So, you know, you, you've got to work on a paddock size that will suit both you and the horse without overwhelming the horse or and, and, and on the other hand, without making it too hard for you where the horse goes off you know, a kilometre and you got to walk a kilometre. We'll move on to the next Brumby then because I think you sort of, um, I understand that the paddock's totally fine and that she can make that progress there. So that's really mm. positive. That's really positive. Um, the next Brumby question is from Blair and she's got a Brumby straight out of the wild, same thing, six months. So she's had it for six months. But she wants to um, attend a Bromby challenge in June. So that's in about six months' time. She's used your method of creating draw and she's been able to catch her with great success. She's watched your videos on teaching horses to lead and making horses responsible for themselves. She's coming on nicely but can be a little stubborn if she tries to lead her in a direction she doesn't want to go. So now she's getting her comfortable with being touched all over. And she started touching her down the front legs um, and wants to start to pick those up. But she's realising she also needs to get her started to work under saddle. She doesn't want to rush that side of it. But what steps can she take to start moving towards getting her under saddle? What videos should she be watching to get good progress? Just the little sort of thing that popped up in my mind is she's still hard to lead when she's going somewhere nervous. Uh, which means still she blocks up in the lead rope, which means she freezes um, and has a strong backward thought, which means if you were going to pick up a front feet, lead her into a saddle blanket, she's not going to want to lead into it. So basically if, you, if, she, if she kind of stops and gets resistant when she doesn't want to go towards away from home or towards something scary, um, then you've got to think about, okay, there's a freeze in there that when I approach it with a saddle blanket or I approach it to pick up a feet, she's going to freeze and suck back like that, okay? So that leading thing has to be addressed. So basically just do, do more leading. So basically don't, don't worry about handing for a couple of days or more. Just get it to lead up. Just um, even like the, 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 you know, some of the videos, you'll see me doing a lot of, Wave the flag, get them to push back, have a backward thought, and then step forward and nothing happened. Wave the flag, get them to step forward. So basically you're creating a negative stimulant in front of them that makes them kind of go, oh, crikey, that's a bit scary. And they might have a backward thought, and then they'll push back, but you wait and you keep the stimulant going to keep them searching until they step up and realise that going towards that thing that was kind of negative 
didn't cause any problems and it released the pressure on their pole for a moment and they went, oh, right, oh, that, that worked. I can do that. So it means that they can go towards negative things. Okay, negative, not negative. It becomes positive when they can go towards a negative thing. So um, I'm not talking about negative as in take something away and positive add something. I'm talking about the feeling, positive and negative feelings. Um, so a float is negative. Negative feeling, oh, I'm going to push back. Oh, I stepped forward, nothing happened, the float didn't attack me. Okay, so you have to get that working really, really well because when you go up with a saddle blanket, the horse is going to go, and then it's your choice. Do you keep rubbing it and approach and retreat and approach and retreat till the horse softens, or do you get it to do something to release that brace and that backward thought and come forward with its thoughts and soften? So work on the leading and then expose it to coming forward to lots of things that cause that, yeah, I'm going to suck back. And then when you can lead the horse equally in any direction and equally towards things that make it feel not so good, then you can lead it into the saddle blanket, lead it into the girth, lead it into the foot handling, lead it into the hind, hind feet handling. So you, if every time you feel a horse freeze a little, block a little, you just put a feel through that lead and say, think forward, step through, and it empowers them to soften and make decisions. Uh, whilst they're nervous and then you'll have that, that horse kind of following the feel. A good thing with doing this in your training on the ground in the handling process, so handling is not handling, handling is education. So you educate a horse into handling, that's what I say to people, you don't just handle a horse and then hope it's educated when it spooks. Um, you lead it into ed education, okay? So, um, so once the horse has an alternative that can follow the feel and it hasn't, going towards that what it thought was conflict didn't hurt it it will become more trusting and, and realize that those things aren't dangerous and the good thing about doing it is the horse will be more responsive and trusting of the rain when you finally get up there because you've grabbed for that rope and said soften follow the feel every time the horse has had a hard thought and it's learned to follow that and, and, and trust that then it's going to trust the rain a lot more when you ride so work on that a lot there and that'll really really i find it speeds up the process a lot more because you'll get the horse well handled but it'll be loose and soft at the same time opposed to just standing still putting up with stuff and the videos that she can watch well, obviously there is all of the young horse handlings videos and the young horse starting yeah. videos so um the young we sort of lump them together because when you're handling a horse introducing new things you want it to be moving around you in the right way and comfortable with it. And so a lot of the handling that Mark does with the foals, he's building them up for the saddle. So if you watch those those videos, they are actually really helpful for anyone that's starting a horse, as well as the specific starting a horse videos, which is when he introduces the saddle and, and the reins and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and anything like leading towards danger, um, lead, uh, leading with a belly rope, um, and even some of the aggressive horse videos, because those that, that, that taps into the freeze and the emotional tension in horses, uh, and, and, and a lot of that will help help these, these youngsters that are quite nervous as well. Plenty to look at. Okay, last question for this session, Mark, is from Karen, and it's about a young horse that's nervous in the float. She says, would you do its first few trips on its own or with another horse? Um, I always err on the side of caution because um, the horse is less likely to have a meltdown with another horse than 
without another horse. So if you take it on a first trip without another horse, it has a meltdown. Uh, the next time you put it in the flood, it's going to be quite scary. So if the horse survived the experience with another horse, is at least it survived the floating experience and it had some company, okay? But then you're aiming to get the horse to work separately from another horse. So the idea with it is, yeah, maybe with another horse it floats better, but if your horse is a needy horse away from the float, then you risk that it's still going to be panicked as soon as it goes away from the other horse. So you have to be very um, very good at teaching it to load on its own, stand in there on its own, not need another horse within Kui. That all has to work really well. Okay. If you wanted to travel it with another horse, you get it loading, standing well, and then you load the other horse. The young horse always is the one that goes in first for a few moments because you've already taught it to stand in there for some minutes already you've already worked on that put the other horse in then teach the other horse to load and in, unload and load while you've got the young horse in there and then that gets the horse used to the other horse leaving and going on as well and then take them for a little drive together the experienced horse and the young horse to drive and it'll go oh you're here i'm here i survive okay then the next day you do your leading and loading same as without the other horse everything's the same but the horse has done all that loading on its own. It's already, already done that. The only thing's missing is the other horse. So it might be the next day. And then, but then, you know, in a bit, you're aiming that you just don't put the other horse on there. Because remember, you put the young one on first. You've taught it to stand in there first. The other one only just comes in. Oh, there's the other horse. It's coming with me for a little, you know, trip. But it hasn't needed that other horse for everything else. Okay. And then after two or three goes with the other horse, you, you probably just drive off without the other horse because the horse should be centred without the other horse. If you're seeing the horse is not centred without the other horse, then you might be leading it into the illusion that it needs company to float all the time because it's the it's, it's the, the only thing that's making that horse trust the float is the company. So you get the trust in the float without the company and then you might travel them together just so it's just a bit helpful. Um, but there's a lot of horses I've travelled on their own because I didn't have another horse and it's been fine as long as you worked on getting them to be comfortable moving softly in a float, trusting, standing in there, all that sort of stuff, and that's fine. But for a long journey, for anything like that, it just makes them a little bit more comfortable, especially their first long journey, going back to a long journey. So you've taught them to travel on their own and with another horse. For their first long journey, I think it's good to carry another horse with you because, you know, they get to a point that maybe after half an hour they're going, I've, I've never been in here for this long and there's another horse here, I'll, I'll be okay and I'll go that little further to get to the destination. So that just might help them on their first few long trips. But you're aiming somehow to wean them off that other horse. So you might tra travel 20 minutes without another horse the next next week. You might travel 25, 30 minutes without another horse if you're really serious about getting them soft uh, until, until it wouldn't matter how long they're in the float. As long as they come off and you show them that you, take, you put them on, you'll take them off. You're not going to leave them in there forever. And, um, and increase the time they're in the float, then they should be fine. Hope those answers helped everybody. Thank you for the fantastic questions. And thank you, Mark. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, everybody. If you want to nut out the root cause of any issues that you might be having, jump online and take a look at Mark's online training videos. This is your ticket to learning Mark's horsemanship yourself, designed for people just like you. 
and it has an array of incredibly useful content backed up with his support. So this is our personal invite to you. Take a look, it's free for the first week and then just $20 a month if you want to continue. Cancel any time. <laughs>